When you're deep in a dark dungeon and the cleric's down and dying And you've taken all the potions you had left And you feel like you are doomed because the demon you set loose is coming after you And you can smell its breath Don't ever give up Hello and welcome to The Real Point Exchange. I'm your host, Adam, and joined by my co-host... Noah. And Chris. Awesome. Well, you know, we do this uh, recording several times... We've done it several times, and every time I keep like trying to figure out what the fuck to say in the beginning. Does it get easier, guys? Do you think? Well, you've yeah. got it in one this time, so yeah, I'm gonna say I, yes. And I wasn't actively trying to sabotage you, so that helped. That that does help, and I appreciate that. That saves editings for every one-hour podcast we do. It's two to three hours of editing. Uh, at least, at least you didn't say the the wrong podcast name. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, I did that with Stolze. <laughs> yes, you did. I edited that out, but um, then again, I think I did the same thing with Caleb, didn't I? Yeah. Or I did a variation of it, so, you know, like eventually we'll get it right. So, anyway, guys, today we're, we've are we worked ourselves up to the point of discuss, discussing character creation. Now, the main area that we want to kind of focus on today is... Um, Character creation from a GM standpoint, and then we can also we'll also be tying in our experience as players, you know, creating and so forth ourselves. But <laughs> as a GM, it's um, I'll go ahead and get this out of the way. One of the f- uh, first games I ever ran, I just told everybody to create a character, and then they mailed me characters, and I'm like, cool, it's okay. And it was not okay. Some people had, they were going, in this particular Trail Cthulhu scenario, they were going to a very rural area of China to look for a flower. So, obviously, one of the characters was a British royal that had a manservant and was carrying a arsenal of weapons. And as a rookie UGM, I, I let that slide. I just kind of, I tried to dissuade it a little bit. I think I got, did I get rid of the manservant, Chris? I mean, this no, sounds weird. Didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I so we, go ahead. No, I just remember. <laughs> so I had this really odd setup, and then uh, Chris's character was a doctor, and it was. Not as elaborate of a setup where you were, I don't even think you had a weapon or anything, but you had an, um, an entire, like, medic, not medical kit, but scientific kind of setup, like, lab setup that you, like, put in the airplane and flew out there, which was a good idea, but was a little too much for the scenario and what we were going for. And I learned an important lesson that day. I learned, Chris, as a matter of fact, I learned several important lessons that day. One, do not like you need to kind of have your finger on the pulse of character creation if you're a GM. Secondly, do not make a flow chart of every decision in the entire game. That path is the path to madness. <laughs> oh God, dude! I went through the, the I went through the published scenario. I'm like, okay, if you do this, and here's a little bubble, here's a little bubble, and I was drawing That's lines. Funny. As as a pretty fresh GM, I've quickly learned like. You can try and expect what the players are going to do, but don't ever like, don't ever hold that in stone. No, that is that is the way to madness. Yes, and so first topic. I'll go one, ahead. 
one thing else you should have uh, realized you should have done. What was that? Um, don't let two of your players talk to each other in private and just say trial by fire. Ah. Oh, God. <laughs> so this was a haunting scenario. It, it, it was my haunting. A little um, bit. <laughs> I really liked the game, but <laughs> I had to look Haze the new GM. <laughs> it was... It was several months before I att- attempted it again, and that time I used pregens. And it, like, if you haven't ran a game yet, people out in internet land, it sucks really bad. <laughs> I'm using such a great diction, but it sucks really bad when everything you don't know what to say. You're bombarded with stuff. It just, mm-hmm. it's overwhelming, in a way. It just, it feels like. You're trying to teach. I'm going from a teacher's perspective. It's like if I walked into a science classroom and had to teach science and stuff. I'm just grasping at stuff. But guys, whenever that game, um, whenever it works and it works perfectly, it is. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I, I feel like it's very um, invigorating. It's something that I got when I shut down the computer at night because we usually play these games online at night that. I can walk back to the bedroom pumped up, and that just sounds really fucked up as I said that. <laughs> Which, I go to my marital bed, I say, say hi to my wife. We have another form of role-playing that night. <laughs> Good game. Call me the Dungeon Master. <laughs> now, whether this stays in or not, I don't know. I, but... <laughs> What I was trying to get at before I went into the whole deal with sexual innuendos and all that, inadvertently, mind you, I don't really wish to discuss my private life. You have two children. That's all we need to know. Yeah, at least twice. (laughs) I had a good game. Thank you, special guest, my wife. (laughs) But um, anyway, so preparing yourself to deal with the uh, player characters in a game is a very important first step. So... If we were going to go into character creation as a whole, though, we're going to talk about group character creation where everybody sits down at the table together or the um, metaphoric table or when it happens individually. So I've been kind of bogarting this conversation. I'm going to pick on you here first, Chris, because you usually GM most of the games that I've been in. Anyway, Chris, um, which method do you prefer, group Um, or individual? It really depends on the game that I'm planning on running. That, that's the thing. Like, character creation is heavily dependent on system. Like, there are some games where it doesn't matter if the characters aren't associated with each other. Like, you could play Paranoia, where everyone just creates their own characters in a vacuum. And then, then butting heads against each other is the point of the game. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Noah's smiling. I love oh, Paranoia. I bought a... a- Paranoia supplement uh, last weekend. Nice. It, it it comes. It's like the um the troubleshooters handbook. So it has like the little survey you can do that tells you what position you're supposed to be and, and stuff like that. I'll I'll grab it in a little bit. It's great. All right, cool. But there are systems like that that really work. But then there's um something like the Unknown Armies campaign I'm running right now where. You have to build your characters in a group. Everyone has to know each other. They have to have relationships. They have to have a common goal to work to work together. And like that's 
character creation in that game is kind of intensive because the first session is all about that. So I kind of prefer when everyone creates their characters in a group because we can hash out ideas and like kind of beat beat certain necessities into gaming there. Like uh, if you're playing D&D, uh, D&D you want to have a fighter and a wizard and a rogue and all that. If you're playing uh, Call of Cthulhu, you want to have somebody who's good at shooting, somebody who's good at investigating, somebody who's good at uh, reading the book so that you all go insane. <laughs> Stuff like that. Which that really reminds me of an in one of our earlier podcast episodes, Noah, you mentioned that you, uh, at least at that point in time, so it was a couple months ago probably, that you had been in a D&D campaign where none of the uh, pl- other players had a fighting character? Um, I was in a very short-lived um, Pathfinder game where... It seemed like everybody was just kind of going with what they wanted to play and not necessarily bouncing off of each other. And I think we had like two different rogues, some, and just like a, a menagerie of characters, except for an actual like fighter character. So that's what I went with just to both make it simple on myself because I'm not a fan of Pathfinder and 3.5 D20 derivatives in general. And to kind of fill that gap that they were going to need, it was sort of, it wasn't a hundred percent group, but it wasn't a hundred percent individual character creation. So it was, it was a strange kind of mix in between. It was basically, oh hey, there's a a, a role that should be filled. I'm gonna do that to make sure that the game can actually last more than like a scenario. So basically, what you were trying to do is cover for everyone else. Pretty much, and, like, there are, I know some game groups and stuff like that will do that, like, they'll try and do everything um, as a group, and um, try and, they'll they'll want to play certain roles, and then there's usually somebody or a couple people that will kind of try and take up whatever's left over. Um, I know with my Shadowrun campaign... Um, that I was playing in, uh, like we had a guy who wanted to be the the drone rigger. We had a guy who wanted to be like the the really good sniper shooter kind of person. Um, And we had like a kind of magic character. So I decided to be both the face, so the guy that talks to everybody, and the, the hacker. So, and I had a character concept kind of from the beginning, and that it kind of fit into that role. So there's that. And then with, like, the, the NBA game, the Knights Black Agents game I've been running, there's, with, like, certain skills and stuff like that, everybody has kind of been collaborating to a certain degree on, like, what skills they should pick and stuff like that. So it kind of makes sense, but it's a little hard with only three people. Yeah, and I kind of went and all the rest for everyone else, so, like, I tried to basically half make my character so that everyone else can figure out their ideas and I'll cover anything that's not covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, one of the things we've been working on <clears throat> recently is uh, Noah's been running a uh, Knights Black Agents game for us entitled, uh, well, actually not entitled, it's the, the supplement just came out called uh, The Dubai Conspiracy. Is that correct? Uh, the Dubai Reckoning. 
Reckoning. Okay, Dubai Reckoning. I, need, I always remember Dubai, but I can't remember the rest. And right. um, it was really... I mean, I've, I've created characters with groups before, but uh, mm. the, the level that um, definitely Chris spearheaded this too, it, encouraging us to, um, which Knights Back agents will let you take up multiple professions and so forth, much like your Shadow Run game you were discussing here. Yeah. So, so Chris did a good job of making sure that the, the three of us had not all of our bases because, you know, it's kind of hard to do with just three people, but... Um, you know, we had everything covered, and we even had. Um, and I've I've never done this in person, mind you, but uh, we even had one host session, which we never did record. We are recording the other for, hopefully, uh, to release it in the actual play. But uh, we even had a session online where everybody just sat down and uh, more or less uh, developed their character. I think a few alterations were made. Yeah, there's been a, a few like minor alterations here and there, but for the most part, we just kind of sat down and said, I want to do this, so I'm going to take these kind of skills and backgrounds and stuff like that. I want to do this, and then we kind of worked with each other to, to kind of find a, a good meeting place. And let me tell you guys, my character is a hot mess. Oh, man, nothing like the fucking forger, accountant, doctor. Race car driver. Yeah, race car driver. Um, uh, martial arts master. <laughs> You're very good with your hand. Hand-eye coordination, that's your theme. <laughs> also, apparently, um, just general scumbag. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of a terrible person, but then you are a burn spy, so... So, we kind of inadvertently touched on this particular benefit of group creation as well in discussing this, but let's give it a little more of emphasis. Not only does a GM, whenever you do creation with your players, is available to help out with the, the creation process, you also have the other players who have varying levels of experience, obviously, but uh, you have players that are bouncing ideas off each other, helping you with the rules, if you need any any help with the rules, or at least helping other players with the rules. It's it's very beneficial to um, have that extra feedback. And offhand, Noah, I don't want you to let the uh, cat out of the bag too much for our, our game because I'm enjoying it so much. For my curiosity, did the uh, process of us creating our characters with you present, did that in any way kind of help you shape the game, so to speak, or give you ideas? Um... At least knowing what maybe, we had. Maybe to a, a slight degree, just kind of with what you guys are focusing on. Like, you're not all real combat capable and um, and things like that, but you are very good like with uh, all of like electronic skills and stuff like that. So I think... I have um, no idea what you're talking about, man. Give me a broadsword and I can fuck the vampire up. <laughs> uh, but... So with the campaign, I've been trying to focus more on like any of the clues I can give you that are more relevant to like what all of your major skills are. I kind of try and put those at the forefront. I'll still try and put like some of the other like clues in there and, and make sure that they're seen. But I I know kind of how your characters are built, and I'm trying to at least cater to that to a certain level. Like you're still going to get into like you know some combat situations and stuff like that, but they probably wouldn't be as dangerous or as deadly as if, like, you were all, like, 
Black Ops, you know, former Navy SEAL type characters. Chris, do you have anything else to um, add about uh, player input? I know that we played in several games together. Has any of that shaped your methods, how you approach the game? Yeah, um, I am kind of a monster when it comes to certain types of games in that I will not allow players to have skills. Like, if we're in a game about superheroes, I straight up don't allow time travel. If, if we're in a game about time travel, I straight up don't allow time travel. Um, <laughs> you just really have it in for time travel. <laughs> yeah, mainly just time travel. What about what about time stopping? Does that count? Um, so long as you do not travel through time. <laughs> I don't want contribution. Is all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> but for real, like um, I I do tend, depending on like the style of the game that I want to run, uh tell people to cap their skills at certain levels or um, to uh, avoid certain types of skills because it would kind of break the immersion, which is basically GM fiat on my point. But uh, I also try to uh, steer people so that, like, I'll, I'll try to steer, steer the uh, players so that their characters are slightly better to play for them, too. Like, um, if somebody wants to play... A kung fu master. I'll make sure, like, I'll, I will nudge them to make sure they have a few points in dodge or something. Okay, so you you want to make sure that their their characters are not like min max, but fairly optimal for what they want to do. Yeah, and like, it, I'll, I'll even tell them like, what you're doing right now won't won't quite work the way you want it. Is that cool? Because gotcha. I'm one of those people who likes having suboptimal characters. Right. I, d- I do enjoy, uh, not enjoy, that's the wrong word. I do like how your approach you're taking there establishes, establishes like a base competency yeah. for for the entire game. So if you were running, wanting to run a game that had, let's say, I'm going to talk about shit I know absolutely nothing about, but let's say you were wanting to run a uh, Pathfinder game that had um, monsters in it that were of a higher level, you could, not only could you perhaps maybe you know, help the players make informed decisions. You know, guys, this is a zombie. <laughs> We're going into a zombie wasteland, uh, and no one has a gun kind of approach of, you know, help them make informed decisions. But it also, you know, say if you were starting all the characters at level six, you could even kind of, as Noah did with us on the Knights Black Agents game, mention that, you know, there is going to be combat. You may be kind of lacking in some areas. So everybody ideally is at least competent when they start to the scenario out. Oh, no, I would just force everyone to play bards. <laughs> <laughs> All bards. You're just a band. Yeah. Okay, fun fact. One time, a friend of ours was about to start a 5th edition D&D game, and I convinced everyone to take a bard multi-class or, like, subclass feat. <laughs> so we were legitimately a fucking band. Your <laughs> base. <laughs> we're a Mysteria band. Didn't have quite the same ring as American we had, band. We had a band that was... We had a, a cart that was the Mystery Wagon. Oh, God. <laughs> it was wonderful. For some reason, that game didn't take off. Huh. I don't so, know why. It's kind of cool to be a 
Well, it's not kind of cool. It's it's important as a GM that you're upfront with your characters when they're creating their game. You know, you you obviously would have some little wrenches to throw into the the plot and all that to mess everything up for them, but to at least get be upfront with them allows them to make better choices. Yeah. Since we were talking about the uh, gumshoe system with nice black agents, and I briefly mentioned Trail Cthulhu, mm-hmm. coming from these games that I'm experienced with, it seems like that base competency there is also there to allow the narrative to go by and uh, you know progress the story along. If my character is a hacker slash con man, and if we didn't have digital intrusion, which we apparently have in spades because our uh, wet work assassin is also... Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got plenty of digital intrusion. You don't worry about that. <laughs> um, but um, it allows, at least in a gumshoe game, for we're obviously not going to get every single bit of information. Uh, the uh, investigative spins in a gumshoe game add a lot of nice flavor text to the game, but, you know, they're not necessarily needed. But, uh, you know, we're at least with our diverse party, we're picking up tons of information as we go, and it's all thanks to everybody working together. Uh, would like to, does anyone have anything else to add to that before uh, I kind of move on? Uh, I would say having, like, a a certain level of, like, Character and system competency, uh, like how those those work together, um, and having those optimized to a certain degree definitely does help um, with the story, with the game itself. I'd also Just say be- the GM needs to know the game back and forth. Right. Yeah. So... Let me hit you all with a problem that I didn't even put in our show notes, but it just kind of came up. This is bullshit. I did not sign up for this. <laughs> My apologies, sir. My apologies. <laughs> Here's the thing. And I would like to – this is one of the um, games I would like to re- try at some point in time. Uh, we did it on a Sunday night and made it so far, and that's it. Is it too much for the GM to ask at least one one player at the table, or maybe even suggest the um, like character types to the player, so to speak. Like, say for example, I'm having an investigative situation, uh, and not investigative situation, but the, like it would be very beneficial to the storyline if, like, say one character out of the party was a private investigator. Is it is it too much to um, jump in? Um, and- I. I don't think so. Uh, it, it's really a kind of situational thing. It kind of depends on the story that you want to tell. But I think saying, hey, I want to run this kind of game, and I would like to have these kinds of characters, like these archetypes. There's, um, there's precedent for that, too. I mean, look at something like um, Fear Itself, where they suggest if you have a combat character, it's only one combat character and only one investigator. Right. Right, like having having a, a wide enough range of characters, or having the kind of characters that you know will move the story along. Yeah. Um, or even in certain situations, the kind of character that the scenario or the campaign may be written for. So there's a um, a Savage Worlds uh, setting called Fifty Fathoms, which is basically like Pirates of the Caribbean meets Pirates of uh, Dark Water and stuff like that. Um, it's really neat, 
but the whole world is like a, a parallel universe to our Earth, and it's been flooded and all that stuff. And it's just islands on the top of mountains and people are, are you know, sailing around being pirates. But a majority of the scenarios that are in the book are kind of written towards a human from our Earth going to that world and and witnessing some of that. So some of the scenarios mentions particular things that if you were a a character that was in that world and had always lived in that world wouldn't be that unusual, but it writes it as something that like you wouldn't you wouldn't have seen this before kind of thing, okay. or you wouldn't necessarily know about this. So, um, so there are there are some situations like that where like having in like this particular example having at least one character who is a human from our Earth on this ship with like all these other kinds of characters you know with like. Fishmen and um, like sort of the the not humans and stuff like that of the setting. I guess it also revolves around if you have a good group that's willing to you know step up and take certain roles, even for the GM and whatnot. Yeah. And there's there's also situations where like uh, if you're playing say Delta Green or Call of Cthulhu or something like that, where you say okay, you have like this range of like occupations or whatever to to pull from like uh delta green is obviously focused a lot on like federal agents and and things like that so you could say everybody in this scenario is going to be some sort of federal agent so fbi nsa dea atf something like that you can pick from those and kind of pick occupations from those and just try and keep it kind of diverse but you're all within like a certain a certain sort of meta occupation. Okay. And it also helps storyline wise. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah. it creates a um, reason that you guys are working together in the first place. Right. Like you're, you're doing a job where you're have to investigate. Um, you have to investigate like some cult or something like that. And you don't necessarily want the astrophysicist going in on the raid. You want characters who are, Mildly, at least mildly competent at combat, along with investigation. I don't know. I think the astrophysicist would be a good time. Well, you know, it, there's always there's always exceptions to the rule, but for the most part. So here's my pet peeve. I want to get this out there right now, and this is you know because of the groups we play with. My pet peeve so far, at least in a Cthulhu setting, for character creation is the dilettante. That one drives me absolutely insane because of <laughs> of uh, player interactions and so forth. I would, I'm not talking about the player himself, but, like, I, I'm rich. Uh, of course I have a, um, a, a chauffeur driver that is driving mm-hmm. around Cleveland in a uh, Bentley. You know, of course I have a manservant. Of course I have a, um, you know, mm-hmm. an arsenal of guns. That just I I can I can understand that, and I think as a suggestion for a any sort of future characters that you may get like that, maybe suggesting like the the dilettante who is also like ostracized or a black sheep. So okay. they they still have a pretty large sum of money because that kind of goes with the dilettante character. Yeah. 
but it is definitely finite. So they can have like a bunch of money, but they can't get like you know the private plane or the the huge arsenal or something like that. You kind of have to try it's, and apply some sort of limit. It's wrapped up in Mumsy and Dada. The right. uh, I, I I totally missed that reference, Chris. I apologize. It's not a reference. Dada, it's just... Mom and Dad. Oh, okay. Mumsy and Dada. I, I wasn't. You thinking. have to go. You have to go begging to the parents to get more money. <laughs> When you're you're gallivanting all across the country fighting cultists that I have to talk you know. to my father Biff and my mother Muffy. The um, the lesson I learned in the two experiences I let this player do this is not only just saying no, but whenever you are creating with a group as a GM, you can you can go ahead and say no now, and it's so much easier to. Nip it in the bud, as Barney Fife from um, Andy Griffith's show would say, as opposed to taking it away from them. You know, I, if they never had it and you nipped it, then, you know, it's less of a, a deal. Right. Getting to heading off a possible situation is always the the best choice. Oh, definitely. Um, I agree with that 100%. Like, but that's, it always helps to have a, a vision of your game, too. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And 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 you don't want to stomp on your players like the shizens, but you know you have to kind of like redirect unless they're being really antagonistic about it. Like I wouldn't necessarily just say no. I would say, okay, you want to do this, but that doesn't quite gel with like the kind of game I want to run or the all the other characters or something like that, why don't we take, like, this part of what you want to do and kind of combine it with something else and kind of move that character or something to... move it to be more in line with what you want. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind, of, kind of like saying, yes, but... And, you know, yes. it's, it's yeah. less intrusive as well For as... Example, like, um... This is a completely different person. We haven't spoken about them at all in this recording once. But uh, I have a player in our Unknown Armies game, and he wanted to play a gun wizard. So, like, like you do. Yeah, like you do. And his goal, like he he wanted to do the whole First Amendment, take my piece, you'll die, and uh, don't tread on me, freedom, West Texas bullshit. And I'm like, right. how about this? This is a more interesting taboo would be using the gun as a symbol of authority. So if you fire it, you are trans transforming the totem into an actual totemic item as as opposed to a weapon. So if he uses the whole live free or die, can't take my guns to shoot somebody, he loses his power. Oh yes, that's why he fondles his guns an entire session. Yes. <laughs> as yeah, we. Definitely, have talked about this. We have this person has never come up ever before. <laughs> but you, honestly, Chris, like I noticed you doing it. I didn't give that a lot of thought when we were playing it, but that was a really cool setup because not only does it mitigate any kind of damage that you would incur with your know, Samity Sam going into town shooting the place up, but you also are forcing him to role play. You're forcing him to make more informed decisions, and I think I. Don't want to speak for his character. I mean, his character, his player, a hundred percent. But I think he's really enjoying the game, and I, I don't even think like the way you set that up, he doesn't even mind it, so to speak. Oh, no. it's, 
It's all about pitching it. He, he actually was really into it once I got the idea. Yeah, it's it's about mitigation, not to say invalidation. Exactly. To use so, big words. <laughs> so we've uh, elaborated quite a bit on character creation as a group. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen. And it could be for many reasons. It could be just time constraints, or it could also be that the GM possibly gave out enough information that everybody could make informed decisions and are maybe even in some form of communication with one another, but at the same time working in isolation on it. I've, like, as far as games go, I think I've had two games, or no, probably three, but only one real good one. But uh, I've had a few games where characters created stuff away from me. And if you want to rewind to the beginning of this recording, apparently uh, I got rolled like a gang member in one of them. (laughs) (laughs) We beat you in. (laughs) So I I got my lumps and all that. But what kind of experience do you guys have uh, GM in a game where the characters just walk in and like, here's Teddy. Teddy being a character. Okay. (laughs) Um, <laughs> he wasn't flashing you say. I've had a, a couple of experiences like this, at least a couple that come to mind like immediately, mainly with some online games I've been in where the GM has stated like so we need like this is the the game, like the actual game system, etc. And this is going to be like the the particular scenario. So you can just make a character from, like, just, you know, just make a character, and so long as they fit, like, a certain requirement, they're they're good to go. So, like, the most recent one was a Delta Green game where it's, like, you just have to be a Delta Green character who is in this particular region of the United States, and they have to have some sort of reason for being in the conspiracy. So several of the other players made, like, federal agents, a police officer... I made a criminal who was basically just, he had seen some, he had seen too much and was forced into the conspiracy because criminals would make a great deniable asset. You know, he's got a previous record. If something goes wrong and he's horribly murdered and they find the body, he can be, you know, written off, et cetera, et cetera. So I've just, I've had some experiences like that or in a couple of other, a couple of other situations have been like, you have this selection of pregens to pick from, go pick one of those. And you can kind of modify it to a certain degree. So that's some of the examples that come to my mind. I don't know if Chris has something. I've mainly played in these sorts of games, and most of the time when we get the kind of game that's individually based, I find they tend to end disastrously because you'll get people with very wildly different ideas of how a game can run. Like I've mentioned in the past the Base Raiders game where I was a musician and another guy was a possessed cop, and then we had two fucking walking fetishes. All right, that sounds like a yeah. a time. Yeah, no, uh, it it was apparently the guy the guy who jams that game uh, listens to the podcast. So uh, hi, Sam. Um, <laughs> ah, we have a listener. Yeah. So, uh, but honestly, the one time I can think that actually working out was uh, during the No Souls uh, playtest. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, I can't remember us getting together as much. I mean, if we did anything, we reviewed characters and then jumped into the game. I don't remember a session, per se. Yeah, and uh, if with No Soul, like, you started with an incomplete character. and that, This is kind of a, a almost a unique scenario in that 
that particular campaign is built around you starting with an unfinished character and then gaining the other half like at the three quarter mark of the first session. Pretty yeah. much. So Yeah. And I mean you guys kind of you guys didn't really have any interplay as far as I could tell until that particular session. Like I don't know if you guys were planning on oh I, whoever ends up being like whoever's demon I end up being uh, I'm gonna give them these powers like no matter what. Like I don't know if you guys had any ideas like that at the start or or what. So well, I can definitely tell you I didn't. I was like, okay, what do we got in the book? <laughs> yeah, right. Flip through it. Like, I'm gonna be an NPR reporter for a reason. Yeah. I did actually have a similar experience as a player in a game that Chris ran. I asked him to run a base raiders game for me. I always wanted to play it, and I'd had a little bit of experience, but with a previous game he ran, but he'd already completed my character. And this particular game, which I, everyone else was already established, I was just jumping in. I was playing a mundane character, and so Chris had me create a partial character sheet, and it was pretty much our entire game until it kind of fizzled out, which we could always jump back into it, but was about me getting my superpowers. And from a player's standpoint, I had a few key words in my mind to describe the player when I started out, but as the game developed and the way that particular game was set up, I got to figure out what kind of man he was. And um, he wasn't a very good man, Noah. I I will tell you that. Um, Okay. Someone willing to steal millions of dollars and augment their bodies is not a good person? No. You never know. I, Uh, I bit a woman's throat. Like your mundane person. You fucking chopped into her fucking carotid artery. Okay, yeah, you're kind of a horrible person. And that entire decision, which we're going to go, this is our first distraction in our RPG exchange, was prompted by the fact that, and it was a unique game, and I've never been in one like it before and since. Like, I was the new guy. And I've never played a game where everybody had their characters had relationships. And the whole point and, of the game was they were your fucking babysitters too. Yeah, and like it, it turned into like the Friends reunion show. And I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna go look for my own superpowers. And then I got to kind of figure out who I was by doing that, which I enjoyed it. It worked really well, honestly. Yeah. I don't know if I was just getting irritated. I was like, nah, fuck it, I'm an asshole now. But it was <laughs> it was kind of how it went down. No, no, this is why they get babysitters. So people don't bite people's fucking jugulars open. I should have had a babysitter. <laughs> Instead really? of at the class of 98 was having a reunion. Uh, this actually brings up a question that I, I hopefully I'm not stepping on any toes, but have you guys ever been, uh, this is basically what Adam just went through, but been in a situation where you are coming into a pre-existing campaign or a group or something like that with, like, coming in with, like, the GM says, you, oh, we're going to play on, like, this night. These are, like, the, the people. Make a character and join in the game. Have you ever guys, have you guys ever been in a situation quite like that? Because I, I don't think think that I have, but that seems like that seems like a, a, a an interesting kind of crossroads between the, the group and the individual 
um, character creation. I've been invited to a few games like that, and I tend to turn them down, because I'm aware that I can be a pretty destabilizing influence in a lot of games. I'm having no soul flashbacks. Yeah. (laughs) I, I... I like to think that I'm a pretty clever man, and um, that comes up, comes into me doing terrible things. Well, I honestly, this is how I kind of got started with Chris's group. No, kind of, it was really how it was, other than a pickup game randomly, and then I think we played another game or two together, and then I was welcomed into the fold. But I jumped into uh, a campaign that was. Man, I wish we'd get back to it, by the way. But um, of Rain, which is a uh, one row engine game by Greg Stosey. And, man, let me tell you, it's an intimidating book to go through at first. And I created the character. And then when I jumped into it, everybody looked at the sheet. And they were really helpful and helped me make wise decisions about my character. So I was allowed to you know, switch a few things around. But the entire... Um, game i was always out of the loop to some extent like these two characters had a pre-existing history and it was a fairly big thing canonically speaking for the game and much like my character in the game as a player i had no idea what the fuck they were talking about whatsoever and new group I, i knew two of the members and it was it worked out and I learned a lot. They um, jumping into it, they you know, into a pre-existing campaign. Definitely, if it's something that you're not experienced with, it's you have people that are modeling the kind of behavior of the game. If you've never played it before, or you didn't know exactly what the GM was going for, so it was uh, confusing at times, which helped my role playing. But at the same time, it really helped me become more competent with the system. That was also a particularly backstabby game. <laughs> Which didn't help. But you did good. Oh, thank you. It it was, like I said, I wish we'd get back to that uh, particular rain game at some point. But yeah, it, I want to see uh, who else you rub your dick on. Our GM's concept, by the way, just to give preference on this, or not preference, but a preface, so to speak, was you're playing the souls of famous people in our world. And I don't remember if we were actually reincarnated or we were just that person's soul before that soul went to that person in our world. So uh, I can't remember what the other characters were, but I was listening to a um, – I'm preparing myself for the barrage of uh, comments. I was listening to a Cradle of Filth song while driving to work as a school teacher. Of course teacher, you were. And the oh song was called The Byronic Man. And I thought, you know what would be cool? My character's Lord Byron. Oh so I – as being Lord Byron, I loved my. I, I loved no. I rubbed uh, my member on many things. If I had known this beforehand, I would have preemptively kicked you out of the group. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late now. I'm established, bitch. God damn it! One hey. of the few people who's always there. <laughs> the guy who was inspired by Cradle of Filth. Like a uh, fucking barnacle. They're not my. It's not my muse, but um, I think we're getting a little off topic here. With uh, that particular aspect, but no, that is a good point. Creating a character and then jumping into something that's already established. Um, mm-hmm. As a GM, which I didn't really have a lot of communication with our GM, Chris stepped in for it, but he was our, I didn't know the man at the time, and Chris was our liaison. 
having someone there to provide input and to help you with the decisions uh, was beneficial. And I guess if I've taken anything from what we've gathered talking about people creating their characters and then showing up with pre-made characters, it's there's got to be communication established. The GM has got to, or at least somebody has got to at least make expectations known and offer suggestions or if need be, much like w- with group creation, limit everything or not everything, but, you know, place limits and I guess expectations. Right. Having, having some sort of limiter, having an idea of what you want out of the game. That's kind of a, a, a running theme being a GM is yeah. making sure that what you want out of the game and what your players want out of the game is symbiotic at least. And making sure that everything is kind of kept within certain parameters that you are both comfortable with and you feel make for the best story. That's honestly the game. The game all the way throughout. It's it's a collaborative institution. Like we are exactly. We we want everyone wants to work together to make the best thing they can, and it helps if you have at least a liaison or someone to talk to or something to figure out. This is why I don't like games where everyone just kind of fucks off into a corner, creates their characters, then comes back. So, if you don't feel like doing character creation, if you don't, uh, or just time and, you know, everything, if you don't have time to create a character with a group or individually, there's always pre-gens. And uh, for those of you not in the loop on that, pre-gens are pre-generated characters. Some games or supplements that you buy will come with pre-generated characters. Or otherwise, you can do, God, you can hop on Google and type in, like, Eclipse Phase pre-generated characters, and you can pull up, like, a list. Mm-hmm. Or, so, or the GM will make them themselves. Yeah. You can find Homebrew. You can find others. And if you are using these pre-gens as a GM, I would recommend that. It's kind of the same way about kind of sculpting the way your game wants. I wouldn't offer a list of characters if none of them were – if there were some of them that were going to be uh, – um, they wouldn't work with the scenario. You know, you want to kind of uh, address those concerns. And if – any uh, any suggestions for pregens? I know that pregens are definitely a thing if you were going to do a uh, pickup game or, like, say, a con game. Mm-hmm. Have you guys used them very much? I have used them as a player. Actually, I have used them as a um, as a GM as well. Mainly, mainly the Eclipse Phase ones because they're they're pretty diverse given all the the books that they have currently out. So you can go through and find characters for just about any sort of occupation, character type, or and for pretty much any sort of like scenario style that you want to play or run. And you can they even sell those particular sheets as nice like heavy cardstock printouts basically um, that you can actually order or and stuff like that. But you can use those. Um, I found those really handy for running a close phase scenarios, especially since character creation in the close phase is calculus really intense. Yeah, it's very front heavy. Uh, I love the game to death, but it is a very front heavy sort of character creation. Uh, I've used pre-generated characters in some online games and things like that. Um, they're they're definitely handy. They're definitely handy for um, like first time games. Uh, online games, things like that. Whenever I make a one-shot, I usually make up a bunch of pre-gens, or if I have a, like, I want to throw a player into a game I'm running, I'll have a few pre-gens ready. Like, Adam, the first game we ever played together, 
it was all pretense. Yeah, it was. Uh, I remember my character's name. It was Mr. Ninoska or something like that, which was a Polish or Russian name. I'm not. I, I apologize for not knowing the origin of that name. Russian. It's a, a reference to a Russian heist film. Like all the characters were based off of uh, heist films. Hmm. And that that was really easy uh, for me being a first time player, not only for. Uh, Unknown Army 2nd Edition, but uh, that's actually the first game I was involved in after my long hiatus from role-playing, so it was very beneficial. It made things easy. It also allowed me to... Like, I read the rules, but I didn't read everything in depth because, well, time for one thing, but another thing was, um, you know... it. So I maybe didn't have as deep of an understanding, which if you're using pre-gens and, let's face it, uh, everybody who's sitting at the table have not read the uh, book from cover to cover. No, I have read Knights Black Agents from cover to cover. I haven't. Oh. <laughs> I've read quite a bit of it, but I haven't read it cover to cover. Christ. I'm terrible about that. Spoilers. <laughs> but um, if, I'm, going to, I'm going to exploit every single fucking rule I can. Well, look at the end of the book, Chris. Um, I've also found um, that you can use pre-gens or example characters in the book as good jumping-off points for making a character. Yeah. Um, with uh, Shadowrun 4th Edition, they have pre-made characters, and for a couple of our characters in my old campaign, we basically use those as sort of a, a starting point or um, a reference from when we actually made our characters. So we would say, I want to do basically this particular job that they have a pre-gen for, but let's move around a few of these skills that I don't think I'm going to use and I want to use in a different part of the a different part of the game, basically. Yeah. So that's those also are basically that, that's also basically how Black Agents character creation works too. Uh yeah, for the most part. Uh you you use the backgrounds as sort of like Many pregens and just kind of Lego build your your character. So character creation, do it as a group. You could also mm-hmm. do it individually, though. We do definitely recommend that you have some input and provide your players with some guidance, or at least have someone available who can help them out. And then again, there's the pregens, which are if you're using them, you just want to make sure that what you're providing characters with, you know, fit with what you're trying to accomplish. And stuff like that, and I think there would probably even be less hard feelings as a GM if you showed up and you had like just say three character types, and you said that's it. That seems like it would, for me as a player, that would be an easy pill to swallow. So, which which switch gears, if you will? All right. As a player, character creation. Do you have? Um, we've already talked about our experiences to a degree. What are some things that's helped you not only create your character as numbers and stat blocks, but also something that's helped you create a living, breathing, so to speak, player in this play. Spite. Spite. <laughs> <laughs> I am fueled by hate. Um, I mean, from the the mechanics portion, like, like I said, having sort of a, a pre-gen or a basic comprehension of like the character creation system Definitely helps from a role-playing standpoint. Just usually there's like a little intro 
chapter to the setting before it gets into the you know the the more in-depth stuff in a lot of books. So just going through that to kind of get a feel for the type of game it is and the world that you're going to be going into and sort of like what the the professions, what the the people of that particular setting are going to be like helps. And then delving even further in to like fully fleshed out setting stuff can help, but having at least a basic understanding of like what the world you're going to be going into. Genre also helps a lot to me. Like, if I'm playing a, a spy game, I'm going to create a shadier character. And I, I'm one, I, honestly, as a player, like, I, I tend to uh, try to fill in any gaps that we have. Like, uh, <laughs> if we're playing a fantasy game and I realize that no one's gotten a fighter, I'll come up with some idea. But usually I work with the GM pretty closely on what I want to make. <laughs> so... For example, like I have a friend who um, is currently working on a 13th Age campaign, and I figured no one else is going to play a fighter because uh, most of my groups of friends, my group of friends, don't like doing stupid shit like that, or not stupid shit, but like uh, that's not their wheelhouse. Yeah, so uh, I decided to came, come up with a gnome who's one like his big thing is he is the king of the bar fight because that just sounds fun. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think definitely playing off of that that genre and archetype thing can definitely be helpful. So, like, yeah. say in Deadlands, having any sort of cursory knowledge of some westerns, be they like traditional or spaghetti, can help with kind of how your character would act. So you can have, if you're just like a regular cowboy, you can do anything from like John Wayne to Clint Eastwood kind of characters. If you wanted to be like a huckster, which is like the magic character, you would look more at something like Doc Holliday from Tombstone and, and things like that. Now, how would you imagine Deadlands reimagined by Cormac McCarthy? Well, it'd be a lot less weird. Uh, so have you read Blood Meridian? Actually, I haven't. I need to. It's it's dark. Yeah, it, it actually it probably would be a lot more visceral. Deadlands is very pulpy. Yeah, it is. It's very pulpy. Some of the games I've jumped in. With characters on, I jumped in, as I mentioned beforehand, but I've jumped in with nothing more than a name and stats. And I figure out who he is as I go, or she. I mean, I usually play males. I need to jump out. I need to get away from that. But Well, there was that one time you played the old gay fisherman. I did. I did. And I had a lot of fun with that one, too. And, I, I, and him being gay really never came up. It was just, I knew he liked men, and that was cool. Yeah, no, he, he was just a salty old cop. <laughs> the um, the most recent game that I've been involved in with the Knights Black Agents, I did a lot of research. I figured out what stats I wanted or what class I wanted, and then that dictated where I, I looked. So I actually started looking up stuff on the Internet about con artist techniques and just even watching just videos on the Internet where they uh, just get ideas, like say if I was going to uh, – pick someone's pocket like what would i do and i i mean i know i know as a player i can say no i'm gonna pick that guy's pocket and we could let it go with that and say okay roll your dice yeah you got it or i could narrate it a bit more because this is like the actions are kind of informing me of who the character is and i kind of would even be able, now i'm able to provide you with like how how am i going to do this filch check and all that. So I've, I've found that researching, much like what you guys have said beforehand, looking into 
what you're wanting to play can help you make informed decisions. And then again, sometimes I've just named a character after somebody I know or knew or somebody I have a, a person in real life. I have them kind of based on and I start role playing, you know, Brian, for example, or, you know, something like that. I mean, have you ever named a character after a Tumblr meme? No, I haven't. Have you I named- ever thrown USB sticks over a fence? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have not, but I've read about that when I was at work. I've established <laughs> that for those of you at home. There used to be, I'm a, I, I, got, I got to tell you this. It, it didn't work out great for me, but like it was an idea. Not a great idea, but an idea. There used to be a scam that uh, when I worked in a bank, I learned about. They warned the employees about it where people would go into a parking lot in the evening and just just scatter USB drives everywhere and people would look down like, Ooh, there's a USB drive. And then the second you plug it up to your computer, you've been infected and there, you know, it's like a Trojan or some kind of backdoor thing. So I, I use that knowledge to try to break into a Monsanto type corporation by just pitching flash drives over into, or USB drives over into the parking lot and being realistically like, we dropped it because it, it turned out to be a really stupid idea, and we used them in a different way. But at the same time, Noah could have been a dick and like, well, that one got ran over. I, I was going to mention that at some point, but I yeah, figured... you, you threw one in the bush. You had me yeah. throw one in the bush. Uh, I mean, I a parking spot, so it probably got run over. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is a really dumb idea. But and I named that character after a man that I know is that's his actual name, and he's like a uh, Vietnam vet. <laughs> Like it has nothing to do with like the character I'm playing, but like I had a name and I, I liked his name. It was different. I just went with it. For a while, um, when I was working for the state attorney's office in Florida, I would name my characters off of um, case files that came into uh, like case files that I dealt with. So um, I had a crazy ass character in Don't Rest, uh, not Don't Rest Your Head, um, Dogs in the Vineyard. Named Solomon Shiver. Oh, that is a great dog's name. <laughs> Isn't it? Holy crap, that is so good. Now, did you combine names, or was this the, the dude's actual name? This was the dude's actual name. <laughs> That's metal. And, yeah, no, he was basically the Mormon pun- Punisher. <laughs> I dig it. So <laughs> it was wonderful. I think we, we're missing something here, guys. Bullshit. We're missing some bullshit. So we, need, so we need bullshit, right? And Gen Con is coming up. It's a month away. Um, so I'm going to... let us Let me tell you about probably the single most embarrassing moment I've had with a professional game designer. A game designer who I admire, Ken Height. Now, who's this Ken Height of which you speak? Ken Height is a Chicago-based... Professional game designer. He has designed several several titles, including uh, Trailer Cthulhu, Knights Black Agents. Um, he did the Star Trek role-playing game way back in the day. He's he's done a lot of stuff. Gerbs. He did he's some Gerbs stuff. He's worked on Delta Green, all, all sorts of stuff. And there's a particular title that he's worked on, Wild Talents, that I used to embarrass myself thoroughly at Gen Con. So, the 2013 Gen Con, 
the year before, 2012, I picked up the Wild Talents Essentials Edition. Now, on the cover, this book has Shane Ivey, Greg Stolze, Ken Height, and Dennis Detwiller, all as writers. So, me, being the putz that I am, the following year, 2013, I decided to go and get it signed by all the people on the cover, because I figured they're on the cover. They have written in this book. So the last person I take it to is Ken Height, who is standing at the Pelegrain booth, selling all sorts of wonderful, wonderful games. And I ask him to sign it, and he's like, oh, you know I am not actually in this book, right? And I'm like, oh, no. In my head, I'm screaming to myself, you jackass, what have you done? (laughs) Um, And he says, yes, apparently the Essentials Edition means the Without Ken Edition. (laughs) (laughs) So it turns out that apparently the Essentials Edition is pretty much just the rules. So all of his setting material is not in the book. Oh. Yeah. Isn't like his thing basically talking about the difference between game types? I think so. I'm not 100% sure. I I don't think I think I have a PDF of the full book of Wild Talents, but I don't have a physical copy of the full book. But he he proceeded to sign it and he's very lovely and a and a, a wonderful man. But he signed it the invisible Ken Height. <laughs> so that is probably the, uh, like I haven't had any situation quite that bad since then. Everybody else I've had signed books is actually in it, but <laughs> it is a lesson to learn. It is a lesson learned. All right, guys, it seems like that's all we have for this episode. I'd like to do a special thanks to Ghost Mice for allowing us to use their song Critical Hit, which is available on Planet X Records. Also, my iTunes page is a tad bit lonely, so if you enjoy our uh, program, please drop on over and leave a uh, review for us. That would be great. You can also check us out on roleplayingexchange.com. We're always there for comments. Uh, I would like to hear from somebody besides free animal sex. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at, at @rpexchange. Awesome. And I would also like to add in, if you listened to the past episode, I was complaining that we never had, we couldn't have a Facebook page because there is a uh, Real Point Exchange Facebook page that was dedicated to fairies. Well, I used uh, the button that says Create New Page under my Facebook profile, and we now have a Real Point Exchange podcast page where uh, you could also please feel free to leave comments and so forth and if you see anyone dressed up in an animal suit that's not us no Yet. keep talking about us <laughs> spread the news a little bit <laughs> spread so, the word about a bunch of white dudes talking about games because that's a unique thing right <laughs> totally and i'm not gonna i'm not going to uh crack on those people that that's what they enjoy i mean Who am I to judge? So anyway, everybody, have a good evening. Bye. Cheers. And we still have yet to think this through. Don't ever give up. Not all fights are won by skill. Some are won by luck. Don't ever give in. You've got to keep on trying till you lose or you win. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Wait with hope for the big 2-0. Cross your fingers, roll the die.
Let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it roll, let it roll, let it roll. 